Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that uh, you would open our hearts to your word, uh, that we would hear it and live it out, that it would transform us, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. I want to just take, I just kind of want to walk through this passage sort of verse by verse and uh, just sort of draw some things out that I think are, are pertinent for us. So if you have a Bible, it might be helpful to just follow along. Go back to verse 20. Jesus says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Notice that Jesus is praying for you. He's praying directly for the disciples that will come. If you know Jesus this morning, Jesus is praying for you. He was praying for you in this moment before the cross. And he prays something very specific that they would that we would believe in Jesus through the word passed on by the disciples that there's an ongoing ministry of the church to pass on the message of Jesus the gospel and that is a live and powerful thing that we then respond to and come into faith in verse 21 He goes on to make this astonishing claim. But I just want to pause right here at verse 20 to remember and just realize this, that Jesus is praying. When Jesus is talking to the Father, you can rest assured that that's going to get done. There's not sort of a question of whether Jesus' prayer was kind of legitimate or not. Or Some of my prayers are kind of goofy. They're probably better if, if God doesn't directly answer those, right? It's like, no, Nick, you don't know what you're asking for. I'll just hang on. I've got you, right? But when Jesus is praying, he knows what's up. And you can rest assured that when he's praying for us, that his intercession is heard and is made manifest, and it will prevail. And so if Jesus' prayers for you can prevail, what does that mean for you and me? It means we can rest knowing that he's got us, that he's got you. He knows what's going on in your life. And he's bringing that to the Father. And there's a ministry of love and peace that then flows through the Holy Spirit to our hearts as we, as we plant ourselves and rest in the one who is our great high priest. Verse 21. Now we get to this astonishing claim that they may all be one. You know, like, that's nice. And then this, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Wait, what? What just happened? It's one thing to say, let's be one and kind of on the same page, but that's not exactly where Jesus goes. What does he say? Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. Well, Jesus and the Father, if we've read through John or through the Bible, share a deep and intimate and personal fellowship with one another. They're about as close as you can get. So much so that Jesus can say, the Father is in me and I am in him. There's this deep, deep sense of of, uh, intimacy and communion and unity. The deepest sense of love between the Father and the Son. And now, what does Jesus say? That they may be one in the same sort of way that you and I are one, Father. And that they may also 
be in us. Now, if we just pause for, it's easy to just kind of read that and go, brilliant, great. But if we just pause for a moment, think about what Jesus is praying here. He is praying that those who follow him, disciples of Jesus, Christians, that they would know the deepest union and intimacy and relationship of the very life of the Trinity. And that we are invited into that relationship between the Father and the Son. That's absolutely remarkable. That you and I, the enemies of God, sinners, broken people, are being invited into a sense of unity and fellowship with God, but one that also mirrors the love between the Father and the Son. It's amazing. In fact, we're reminded of another place in John, John 15. It kind of reminds you of of the I am the vine and you are the branches passage, right? Where we get Jesus saying, abide in me. The sense of living in Christ. The sense of unity, of growing in Christ. You know, it's interesting. Um, I remember one of my professors in college, they had done a survey of various, he was telling this story. They did a survey of various college presidents, Christian colleges. And one of the things, I forget who did this, some organization, probably an accreditation society of some kind. Anyway, they were asking the presidents of the college, well, what is sort of the ultimate goal for uh, the Christian? They asked other questions, educational questions as well. But one of the main things that came out of that survey was an emphasis from various Christian leaders that the primary call of the Christian is to be like Christ. And that's a good answer. It's not a bad answer. That's definitely true. We're called to live out the character of Jesus in our witness to the world. We're called to become people who have the fruit of the Spirit. We become loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and gentle and kind and et cetera, et cetera. It said self-control. I'm trying to teach my kids self-control just because, just because you can do that thing you really shouldn't. They tell Noah this morning, you threw that thing at dad. Can you not? Could you just not? It hurt, you know? Self-control. We're called to grow into the character of Jesus. We want to be like Christ. But that's not what the Bible says here. Of course, we are to be like Christ, but that's that's a matter of imitating Jesus. But there's something else here. Do you see what it is? We're not just called to be like Jesus. We're called to abide in Jesus. There's a summons to a deep life of love and fellowship with God himself. God is not just interested in you changing your moral character and having a sort of reformation of your attitude and your actions, though that matters. There's a call to holiness. Absolutely. That's what the sanctify them bit was all about uh, in the previous section. But now there's a call to unity that they may be one as you and I are one. Friends, you are invited into the very life of God. He's called you into that, into the very fellowship of the triune God. And how do you cultivate that? Well, it's a cultivation of a relationship. And so I immediately think, well, how do I cultivate a relationship with my friends or with my spouse or with my children? Well, it doesn't work well if I don't spend time with them. And so how do you cultivate the with God life? You spend time with Jesus. And how do you do that? Well, one of the best ways is to talk with him and to hear him talk to you. And we do that through prayer 
and through the word and all sorts of other ways as well. But that's probably the most basic way is to say, God, I want you to speak to me. Speak through your word that resonate with my spirit and your spirit. And we're invited into the life of Christ. That's how we cultivate a daily personal walk with God. To abide in him. So a good question for us is then to ask, well, what distracts you from cultivating that, that with God life? What's keeping you from taking the time to shepherd your soul and to spend time with him? What, what stops you? Uh, is it just a sense of apathy or, or kind of laziness? I just don't feel like taking the time to do this. Well, I tell you what, if I don't take the time to spend with my wife or my kids, it has actual consequences. Those things don't just sort of carry on in a healthy way unless I'm willing to cultivate that. I mean, sometimes you can pick up a friendship after years. You pick up where you left off, right? But that's not, that's not necessarily the healthiest thing, and that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to this daily spending time, walk with God, to abide in him. And why does he call us to this? Well, he calls us to this because he loves us. But then look what he says at the second half of verse 21. You may say, why? So that the world may believe that you've sent me. And so our fellowship in God is not just a, a sort of personal growing into what God has called you to. First of all, it happens in community. It's they may be one. This isn't just about you and Jesus having a great little quiet time together. This is about the life of the church growing into abiding in Christ. But there's a missional aspect to this. Did you hear that? There's a sense in which this is not just for ourselves. Why does Jesus pray this? So that the world may believe. Perhaps we could say that in John 17 anyway, one of the greatest calls for the Christian's evangelism and witness in the world is found in their willingness to walk out the love of God in community together. Did you know that? That our, our love for each other and for God has a missional dimension to it. Again, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, but it's that old song, they will know we are Christians by our love. That the love uh, is confronting to those that don't know Jesus. It's surprising. Wow, see how they love each other. Look at this love that's expressed. Where does that come from? Well, it comes from God. And so there's a call here that our unity is actually, and our striving towards unity is actually missional in purpose. It points people to Jesus. I think there's also a sense in which Jesus is thinking about the future of the church, which is going to be made up not just of, of Gentile or Jewish believers here, of Galilean believers, but of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And Jesus is praying, may they be one. May they be one, even with their diversity of cultures and diversity of experience and history. May they be one. What unites us as Christians is our fellowship in Jesus. Like what Spurgeon said about oneness and unity. He said the call to oneness is not a call to uniformity, where we all just kind of look identical, right? We're all just kind of clones of each other. Rather, the call to oneness is like a family. In the same way a family is one, that's the call that the church is meant to embody as well, that we are one in the way a family is one. We don't all look the same. 
We're not identical. We have various strengths and weaknesses and character traits and weirdness and all sorts of strangeness going on. But we are one not because of our various idiosyncrasies or lack thereof. We are one because of a love we share in Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus for his church, that we would be united in him and one in him so that the world would believe. Verse 22. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them. And here it is again. I mean, now that we've talked about the oneness bit, you're going to see it all over, right? That they may be one even as we are one. And once again, that's to kind of blow our socks off that he just sort of says that. And then he goes on, verse 23. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know, and here's the missional bit again, the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There's this sense in which Jesus, he says, this glory I've given to them. And we've talked about glory before, that glory is often describing God's own character, his own uh, reputation. And that glory, that life-giving character, the revelation of who God is, is in a sense given to us in that we are called to live out the character of God in the world, to live as his image bearers in the world. And that unites us in love and fellowship, that they may be perfectly one. There's a sense of responsibility here to live uh, for, the, for the Christian, to live for Jesus, to pursue a sense in which our character, how we live, is modeled after him and that it points people to him, that we're signposts pointing people to Jesus. And then verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. One commentator said, this is the whole purpose of salvation, is to be with Christ. And this phrase here, to see my glory, in Greek, the word is theoreo, and it has this sense of observing with sustained attention. So not just to see the glory in passing, but to observe and attend to it. Another uh, way of, uh, another connotation of that word is to enter into it and actually experience it. And so we're called not to just be bystanders, but actively participating in the glory of God. That's a, we have a taste of that now, but we'll see that in its fullness when he comes again. And of course, there's the sense here we could spend a lot of time on this, but we won't. This idea that the sun is preexistent, right, before the foundations of the world. You loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus doesn't come into being at his birth. The sun is eternally preexistent with the Father and with the Spirit. This is uh, classic Orthodox historical Christianity. And we get a, a picture of that here. And then verse 25, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I think it's just, there's a reminder here that we have a choice in all of this. All of this life that we've been talking about and fellowship and unity, there are some who know and there are others who don't. We have a, a choice. We, each of us have a choice to enter into that promise of life or not. And it reminds me of the beginning of John's Gospel. I just want to read verses 4 to 6 and 9 to 12, which really captures the sense of some get this and some do not. 
describing Jesus, John 1, verse 4, says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, verse 9, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. And, of course, that's going to be really shown at the crucifixion. Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, right? So there's a, there's a, there's a choice. You can choose to receive Christ or not. To those who did receive him, who believed in his name, what happens? Well, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. When we come to Christ, when we enter into this fellowship and this life, when we believe in his name, we become adopted. We have a new identity as children of God. You're not just your parents' offspring. Now you're part of God's family. And finally, verse 26. I may known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. He's going to do that um, in the most powerful sense of the cross. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. There's that sense of deep unity and intimacy again. That picture of I in them uh, is, is, is really something that resonates all through the Old Testament. There's the, there's the sense in the Exodus of God's, not just the sense, but the actual reality of God's presence coming to dwell with Israel at Mount Sinai, that he's, he's dwelling with them, he's with them. And you have that picture as they go into the promised land that God is with them. And then they build the temple and God's presence comes to dwell in the temple, right? And he's with them in the temple and the presence leaves the temple because of their idolatry and their adultery and all that nonsense, right? And they go into exile and then they come back and they make a new temple. And the presence of God never fills that temple and it's a real downer for everybody involved. And they're quite sad about it until Jesus shows up and Jesus is the return of the presence to Israel right? He's the real temple. He's where you go to meet the presence of God. And he's the God dwelling with them. That's what John 1's all about, right? The word became flesh and dwelled among us or tabernacled among us, right? Or as Eugene Peterson says in the, in the message paraphrase, he moved into the neighborhood, which is great. And here, when he ends this uh, prayer with I in them, it carries all that residence from the Old Testament of God dwelling with his people being with them, and now Jesus, I in them, which looks forward, of course, to Revelation 21 and 22, right? Behold, the dwelling of God is with humanity. That's what we look forward to when he comes again in glory. So, there's a call here for us for unity and love, that the love we have for each other is somehow missional in that it, it points people to Jesus and that there's a call to us to abide deeply in Jesus, but also to be one with, with, one, with each other, not in uniformity, but in a sense of family and community. How do we foster that? How do we actually, like, that's great, Nick. Thank you. But how do you actually do that, right? Well, a couple things. I think the thing that gets in the way of our unity the most is probably our sin, both our personal sin and the way we can lash out at each other and hurt each other in relationships. And so if we need to, if we want to foster love and unity in the church, both generally big C church worldwide, but also little C local church like our congregation, um, 
It's just a call for us to really check our hearts and say, God, am I, is there sin in my life that I haven't dealt with that I need to confess and give to you and help me to walk out of that, right? Put that away and walk with you. Because that, that's going to break down unity between you and me and, and me and others. So that's the first one. Is there sin in my life that I need to deal with? I think the second thing I would say is, is there, is there people where relationships are broken down between you and others in the church and you need to actually try and seek reconciliation with that person? And that's really hard and not very fun. Um, yeah, it's great to say that, right? Thanks, Nick. Brilliant. Yeah, great. Uh, don't want to. Thank you. Uh, just ignore that and we'll be okay. Um, and, you know, you can kind of get by and be civil with each other. But I do think there's a, there's a call. There's actual hurt and, and things have broken down uh, to try to seek reconciliation. It may not always work, but the attempt to try to work that out is what's important. Uh, and to just walk in humility and say, hey, I'm sorry if I've hurt you. Let's try and try and live this out together because God says we should and the Bible says we should. And even if I don't really want to, I know that I should want to, right? So Lord, change my heart to try and walk in that unity and in that love. And, and God honors that, right? I think that helps to reconcile things. I think the other thing is, is to remember that um, the love and unity that the church demonstrates is missional. It does point people to Jesus. And so uh, there's a responsibility for us to try to live that out well. And when people see us loving those who don't know Jesus, it's also uh, really demonstrating God's love to them. Uh, there's people, you know, who, who come to the church or people I've met who uh, maybe are turned off by church uh, or they've been hurt by people in the church. Um, but they, when they see a Christian loving them or see that the church is willing to take on whatever to try and love this person or that person, um, that really speaks volumes. And so there's a kind of a responsibility for us to, to sort of uh, remember that being a Christian is not about being in a little bubble uh, where you kind of do your Christian thing on a Sunday and then you go into the world and do your whatever thing over here. Being a Christian and following Jesus is about uh, the transformation of your whole life. And it's a wholehearted devotion to Jesus that then uh, seeps into every part of life. And so it's not like, well, I'm just a Christian on Sunday, and then I go do whatever on Monday. It's like, no, uh, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus, uh, that's first and foremost in my life. And that I, I bring that with me uh, into my workplace or into my school or, or as I'm helping someone, whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah, those would be the three things I would say regarding love and unity is, uh, is there sin in the camp in our own hearts? Uh, is there people we need to reconcile with? Let's try to engage that. Well, and that's complicated and difficult, and, and I don't mean to be trite about that, but to seek uh, to make reconciliation possible. Um, and then to simply realize this is part of our witness, that Jesus calls us to be one and in him uh, and to love each other so that the world would believe. Um, and so that's really exciting. That was a call to witness and to mission. Uh, let's pray. I'm going to leave it there. Let's pray to that end that we would uh, live out this really amazing and high call to live in unity with God. Uh, so, Father, we thank you again for your word this morning. I, I thank you, Lord, that uh, knowing that the church be full of broken and sinful people, you still call us uh, to love each other. And uh, it's one thing to say that and sort of gloss over it. It's another thing to live that out. And I pray, Lord, and thank you, uh, for the love that is evident here in our own church family, 
And also, I, we recognize that there is breakdown of relationship and brokenness and our own sin that gets in the way of things. But Lord, we also firmly believe uh, that you forgive us and you set us free from our sin. And so as we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Both personally, but even just as a church, Lord, uh, that we want to follow you. And there's times where we will fail along the way. But we ask that you would continue to lead and guide us. We want to put you first, Lord, uh, as a church. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would also help us to reconcile with each other. Where there's relationship that's broken down, um, that God, you'd help us to, to move with love and unity and grace and humility towards each other um, and to try to live that out well and, and guide us, Lord, because that's sometimes complicated and difficult. Um, but God, you do call us uh, to forgiveness and to life. And so help us to do that well. And Lord, I pray that uh, as we seek to love you and to be united uh, in the life that you share uh, with the Father, Jesus, we pray that um, you would remind us of that responsibility to live out your character well because the world is watching and it's a witness lord to those that don't know you and we pray lord i just pray over my friends here this morning uh, that are seeking to follow you uh, that lord we would remember that our love and our care for others uh, are signposts that point to you and we go bearing your your presence and your witness into the places you've called us so lord i just thank you uh, knowing who we are in our own brokenness and our own sinfulness and our own uh, often sort of failed attempts to live this stuff out well, uh, that you still call us and you still love us and you still keep us. And I just thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. And uh, you call us to, to lay a new foundation every morning and to start fresh. And so, Father, we just pray as we head into this week that as a church you would help us to start fresh. Uh, loving each other well, uh, putting away our own sin, and uh, being a witness to you in the world. And uh, we trust and pray that you will do this work, Lord, because uh, you have uh, brought it about, not by our own strength, but by your power, oh, and by the presence of your Spirit. And so, Lord, we thank you uh, that as we open our hearts to what you would uh, do in us, we can rest in the assurance that you uh, will bring your promises uh, to fruition completion in us and uh, that you're faithful so lord i just thank you again for today thank you for my friends who are here and i pray you bless us as we head into the rest of this week and into this lunch and uh, various other activities lord uh, coming up uh, small groups and easter and good friday and uh, all the rest lord we just pray that you would guide us and lead us that your kingdom would come and your will be done Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this church family in your name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, and I'll speak benediction over you before we head out today. If you'd like prayer, just because I know there'll be some heading downstairs, and um, I'll probably be heading downstairs quick, but if you'd like prayer, do come to the front. I know Doug is here, and he's available. Doug's one of our pastoral elders. There's others as well. We'd love to pray with you, so don't feel you have to slip away. And if you're new or you're visiting, uh, do come find me. I'd love to connect with you quick. If you have to go, feel free to go. If you want to come downstairs and eat, please come. It'll be good. So all that said, uh, let me send you with the benediction. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ, may you know uh, 
that deep sense of love and unity that Jesus uh, desires for you. May you know uh, the grace and forgiveness of his love. And may you know uh, the unity and fellowship of walking together with other believers who are seeking to follow Jesus. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. I do love you. Have a great week. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next Sunday. Bless you. Or Good Friday, I suppose. Come on, Good Friday. Bless you. We'll see you.